nice to see you all uh, tonight. Um, last week we began a series on identity, and uh, we're asking this this little question: uh, Who am I? Uh, and we're thinking about how uh, we might answer that question. And of course, as Chris was saying last week, as he opened up, each one of us in, in the room might uh, answer that question in a variety of different ways. Uh, for example, I was born and raised in. Texas, uh, so I might say that uh, <laughs> I might say that I'm a Texan, although I've lived in New Jersey now longer than I lived in Texas. So. But you know, my, my regional identity, or uh, I'm, a, I'm a Princeton alum, and, and there's my uh, that identity, uh, or I'm a, <laughs> I'm a husband or a father, I'm a grandfather. Um, so that's a relationship kind of uh, marker. I do campus ministry, so there is a, a calling or a vocation. Uh, we also think about identity in terms of things like race and ethnicity, in terms of things like sexuality, in terms of things like gender. And so, you know, the question of who am I uh, is has a complex and really a unique answer for, for each uh, one of us. And, and that's a big, big part, right, of what makes each one of you wonderful um, and interesting uh, that we're not all just the same. One of the most important aspects of our identity, and this is what we're talking about this fall, is who am I, who are we in relation to God, in relation to our Creator. And, and in particular, we're asking the question, uh, what does the New Testament have to say about our identity, if we call ourselves Christian, what does the New Testament have to say about who God calls us to be, how God sees us, what, who he tells us we are, and, and then are we living in that identity? Does that identity shape, in other words, our sense of, of self? And so last week, uh, Chris talked about what does it mean uh, to be a disciple, to say I am a disciple of Jesus. And he talked about how that means to be a follower, or to be a, a, a learner, um, or uh, I, I don't have time to explain what he meant by this, or to be a loser. Uh, and so Chris told us we were all losers last week for followers of Christ. But it was hopeful, it was hopeful. And um, tonight we're gonna consider uh, another aspect of our identity as Christians, and, and that is this uh, up here. It's good it's on, on the screen because it's it's H-E-I-R, it's not H-A-I-R, it's I, I, am, uh, I am an heir. You know, because what we believe about our future can be transformative in uh, our present. And uh, this is well known, for example, to psychologists. Uh, a person can have all of the equipment for success. Uh, they can have intelligence, they can have talent, they can have natural ability, they can have skill, they can have strength, whatever it is. They can have all the equipment but, but the uh, stuff. Um, I was going to say it's like owning a Ferrari but not knowing how to drive a car. Uh, I'm not sure that really works, but um, 
in, in any respect, what, what psychologists have, have shown through all kinds of studies is that hope, and, and in this context, I don't mean hope just as sort of what we, what we wish for, but hope as a strong and confident expectation of a, of a positive future outcome, that hope is a critical element, more important than optimism, more which is just kind of vague, or passion, or self-confidence, or grit, that hope is a critical element of uh, how people will, will perform uh, and whether and how they will succeed. And so, for example, athletes who, who have hope perform better than those who might have greater natural ability or skill. And the same has been shown uh, in studies about academics, that hope is a powerful motivator. And most of you have some measure of hope you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, it got you here tonight. I mean, yes, you have all kinds of anxieties and fears and uncertainty, but, but you also have an animating hope in you that keeps you going and, and it, it drives you or, or even pulls you forward. You, know, you hope you will get good grades, or at least you hope you won't fail out. Um, you hope you will graduate. Uh, you, you, some of you may hope you will get married or something like that. You will hope for a good job. And, and this motivates all of us. And so what we want to talk about tonight is, is that it matters what our hope is set upon. Because all too often, I think it's true for, for all of us, that our hopes are not sufficiently grounded in what God tells us is ultimately real. And, and when our hopes are not properly grounded, then our expectations uh, can be disappointed. They will be disappointed. And uh, our expectations will, will be greatly diminished. And I think probably in some measure you may have all had the experience that disappointed hope can then lead to things like cynicism or bitterness, or, uh, <laughs> or ultimately um, even, even to despair. And so, I mean, the question I'm asking tonight for you to consider is not do you have any hope, because I think you all have, have various kinds of hope, but what is the source of your hope? And, and I want us to think tonight about how our sense of self, how God wants to, to shape our sense of self when we lay hold of this biblical assertion that Christian, if you're a Christian here tonight, because you are an heir, you have a living hope. And, and, and I want to start in 1 Peter chapter 1, which I think is on the next slide. So Peter is writing actually to... Um, Christians, this is in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Peter, uh, he's writing to Christians who are in a time of significant trial and difficulty and testing. And uh, uh, what does he say to them? This is the, the opening of his letter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again, and we were just singing this, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Born again to a living hope. Through, what, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to what end? To an inheritance. There's, the, there's this concept. And, and what kind of inheritance? It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, it's, this, this is God's word. And, and tonight we're just going to consider this and think first uh, of what I've already asserted, that what Scripture tells us is that we are heirs. We have an inheritance. And that second, when it comes to thinking about your inheritance, your family matters. And third... Knowing your future can impact how you live now. So we are heirs, your family matters. Knowing how you, uh, your future can impact how you live now. So, I mean, let's start with this, that we are heirs, we have an inheritance. And, I mean, this is such tremendous news in these, these verses. I hope it's not so familiar to you that it doesn't still seem wonderful. Uh, that, that, what Scripture is telling us is, is that we have a new birth, uh, a new life, uh, and this is not something that we accomplish, but what does the text say? That God has caused us to be born again, to this living hope. And uh, so this is not something that we accomplish, but that He accomplishes through the death and resurrection of Christ. When Christ conquers sin and death, uh, in, in his dying for us and his being raised again. And, and he further says that God does this not because uh, you were so smart that you got into Princeton or something like that. He does this not because we are worthy, but it says on account of his great mercy. On account of his great mercy. And so there's, this is such a, a magnificent manifestation of, of the love of God that he takes us from being uh, dead. He, he takes us from being uh, lost and alone, without hope and without God in the world. He takes us from being spiritual orphans, and, and he rescues us out of everything that, that held us, out of sin, out of uh, slavery, to fear, and to death. And he gives us new life, and he adopts us uh, as his, his beloved children, his beloved sons and daughters. Just click on to the, to the next slide. Here the Apostle John is, is marveling at this idea that this is amazing, the kind of love that the Father has given to us. What's amazing about it? That we should be called children of God, and, and so we are. Uh, there's, a, there's a great theologian that some of you may have heard of, and maybe even a fewer number of you may have read, J.I. Packer, a great uh, Anglican uh, uh, theologian, uh, and one of my favorite books uh, that's had a great influence on me as a believer is his book, Knowing God. And he has a chapter in there on um, our adoption as God's uh, beloved children. And he says this, God adopts us as his children out of 
free love, not because our character or our record, our, our conduct, show us worthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the exact opposite. We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he has exalted and as he loves Jesus sounds ludicrous. It sounds wild, and yet that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. Jesus is God's beloved son. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God adopts all who call upon his name as beloved children, and if children, then heirs. And this next text is, is a bit dense, and we're not going to spend time here, but from Galatians chapter 4, uh, Paul is talking about this concept. He says, when the, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, the born of a woman, born under the, the law, the, the law of the Old Testament, he sent him to what end? To redeem those who were under the, the condemnation of the law. To what end? That we might receive adoption uh, to sonship. And he's using legal language there, referring to, to our chains of status. He goes on, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The same spirit who calls out to God and calls him father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. And so if you are trusting in Jesus Christ tonight, you are a person with great expectations. Because when God redeems us, he redeems us to a new status to a new relationship. When we are born again into his family, we become a, a beloved child, and as beloved children, we stand to receive, as he says in 1 Peter, an inheritance, a wonderful inheritance. And, and that is why Peter characterizes this inheritance that is kept for us. He says, this is, this is real. This is not a, this is not a dream. Uh, this is a living hope. This is not just wishful thinking. I am an heir of, of, the, of the living God who uh, has made promises uh, to me, and, and, and there is an inheritance that is, is waiting for me and for you. Which leads to our second point, and that is that your family, family matters. Um, yeah, I imagine everyone in the room knows that Queen Elizabeth uh, died uh, just a long ago, barely a week ago. I, that's amazing. She reigned for 70 years. Incredible. But, you know, following Queen Elizabeth's death, there's been a lot of news about this. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Prince Charles uh, will inherit, which is our word, and a considerable fortune, right? Um, family matters, right? Uh, but for the rest of us, uh, you know, for others, we, we, we can well imagine that, that on, a, on, a, on a human level, simply being an heir might not mean very much. 
uh, in the material sense. I mean, there are many stories, right, of parents who, for all kinds of reasons, uh, either either because their their circumstances are of extreme poverty, or because uh, they themselves are irresponsible and neglectful, or malicious. I mean, there could be all kinds of reasons. Parents who who die and leave nothing to their kids, um, and you know. You, you may be, I, I don't know your circumstances, maybe some of you come from families that are comfortable or well off, and, but, but suppose a financial crisis comes in and wipes out all of that accumulated wealth, or, or perhaps your family, uh, your parents are gonna live to be 90, there's an article this week that 90 is the new 40, and uh, <laughs> your parents are gonna live to be 90, and they're just, they're going to use up all their resources before they die. Um, you know, my mother died when I was just a couple years older than most of you. And um, after she died, my, my dad remarried, and he remarried to a very different sort of person than my mother in, in, in virtually every respect. And, and so not only was, was for my brother and sister and I was, was, was the emotional security uh, that was, was so huge uh, that we enjoyed while our, our, our mother was living. Not only was, was that stripped away when she died, but, but then my dad remarried shortly thereafter to, to a person who was very different. And she was the sort of person who would take great glee in putting a, a, a bumper sticker on, on the back of, of the RV that says, you know, your father and I are spending your inheritance. Um, and there was just that sort of sense in which, you know, her spirit was, you know, we're gonna enjoy it while it lasts and, you know, good luck to the rest of you. You know, I, I say that simply to, to come back to this, this point, your family matters when we're talking about what it means to be an heir. You might be an heir, but of what? What is your inheritance? When we become members of God's family, who holds on to that inheritance for us? And, and, and what does he have for us? The inheritance that God promises is, is amazing. It, it is nothing less than life from the dead. It is nothing less than uh, eternal salvation, a fullness of joy in his presence forever. He offers us himself. And, and therefore, something that, that we can know, and that I hope you do know with great assurance, your inheritance, however insecure worldly wealth or worldly expectations might be, your inheritance is not going to disappear. It's not going to, to evaporate. It's not going to get spent by somebody else. It's, it's not going to diminish to nothing. Why? Because your inheritance is in heaven. And your father is the Lord of, of the universe. Your inheritance is secure. God not only brings us into a new relationship with himself as heirs, but he also wants to assure us 
He says that that inheritance is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading. It's not going to perish or fade away. It's, he says it is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. God not only protects what he has promised to us, but this text also tells us that he protects you for it. And I, I find that extraordinary. He guards us for what he has promised to give us. That's a strong word there. And, and Peter is telling us that not only is God going to make sure that, that you don't lose your inheritance, he's also going to make sure that you don't fail to receive it. And I think that's amazing. And you might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't know, Bill, uh, because maybe I'm not sure I can trust God. Uh, and some of you are, are like, well, I don't know, Bill, because I don't know if I'm going to be faithful to God. And the text is, is calling us to ensure, uh, to, to assurance that not only is God going to protect it, but if, if, if we will continue through faith to hold on to Christ as Savior, we are secure in, in this inheritance that he promises us. And so your family matters. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a beloved son or, or daughter of the living God. Which brings us to the third point, and that is that your future can impact the way that you live. I want to just suggest two ways that that's true. Um, I think it's the next slide. Yeah, so a couple of implications. First of all, knowing your future, how might that impact you in the, in, in the present? Well, first of all, it might lead you to be a person who it worships God. Notice he begins the letter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the language of worship. He just goes right into it. Uh, the, the, the more that uh, we understand what God has done for us, the mercy that he's shown us and the promises that, that he's made to us, how can we keep from being people whose lives are marked by gratitude uh, uh, by singing, blessed is your name. And, and, and so, in, in the first place, we become people who have a deep, deep sense of, a humbled sense of gratitude. And that leads us to worship uh, and, and to, to live uh, in, in that spirit of thankfulness. But then secondly, knowing that I am a, a beloved child of God, and not only a child, but also an heir, that that could begin to have an impact right on how I view my present circumstances. You know, most of us spend most of our time, I think, and our emotional energy focused on the near future and the intermediate future, working on this problem set so I can get <coughs> a good grade in this course so that maybe I can get into grad school, or um, maybe I'm focusing on, I wish I could find someone uh, so that I could get married and, and have a family. You know, we focus on the, on the near and in the intermediate future uh, a lot of the time. But you know, even if things do turn out for you in those temporal uh, spheres, 
so often what we find in life is this is not all that I hoped it would be. And, and there's that sense of, oh, is that all there is? What, do I, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do now? I got the job, you know, but, oh, I hate my boss. Um, or, yeah, I found a wonderful wife, but, but now, uh, now she's gravely ill. Um, now my kids are struggling. I mean, everywhere we encounter the fallenness of, of things and, and hopes uh, are, are all too often disappointed. And, and because our hopes, you know, are so often in, in things like other people and, and they're in our circumstances. And those are all subject to change and, and uh, completely uh, they're focused on things that are fleeting. You guys know, some of you have read C.S. Lewis, and so you know this is a very famous quote from one of his sermons called The Way to Glory, where he talks about us being half-hearted creatures. Why? He says, we fool about with drink and sex and ambition, temporal things, when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And, and God is offering us this joyous expectation that, that can transcend and transform our present circumstances. And so Peter, uh, I think I've got the next uh, slide there, he says, in this, yeah, go back, sorry, in this you rejoice, even though now for a little while necessary, you've been grieved. What's the this there? Well, the this is this great salvation that is promised us. In this you rejoice. I don't know if you know David French. He, he wrote a, uh, he's a commentator. Uh, he wrote a piece uh, recently where he was comparing uh, the narrative perspectives of uh, uh, George Martin, you know, George Martin, Game of Thrones, some of you nodding. Um, and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. It's, it's a very interesting piece. But he, he pointed out a very famous moment in uh, Lord of the Rings, Return of uh, the King. Which, uh, here, this is David French. He says this is written from Sam, Sam Gange's perspective. Well, what's the matter? <laughs> so, uh, so, while, while Sam and Frodo are, are struggling, hopeless, uh, through, through the heart of Mordor, right, on this, this fool's errand to destroy the ring. And he, here's, here's uh, Tolkien. He says, and there, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkled for a while, and the beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow, the darkness, was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. You know, when, when I came to Princeton, 
uh, as a freshman, the leaders of PCF were Wayne Carroll Weber. Wayne was class of 65. They ministered here on campus faithfully for 27 years. And during my freshman year, their six-year-old son, Stevie, died of leukemia. Uh, I had little comprehension of how hard a loss that would have been. But they were people of resilient faith and hope. Some years later, their oldest daughter, uh, Linda, uh, she married, she had a son. Her husband died unexpectedly in his sleep. And then Wayne began to suffer from uh, an aggressive form of debilitating uh, dementia. And Carol became his uh, sole uh, caretaker. And after all of this had happened, loss of a son, loss of a son-in-law, her husband with his debilitating dementia, then Carol was diagnosed herself with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And it was an aggressive form. And before she died, she made a beautiful video expressing her faith and hope. And in that, she describes her diagnosis. Uh, and, and she says, uh, ALS is a neurological disease which takes away the strength of your extremities, your speech, your breathing, then your eating, then you're done for. That's a quote. And at this point in the video, she chuckles, and her eyes twinkle, and her face shines. And she says, but well, I'm not done for. I'm going to heaven. And she goes on to encourage us not to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. But, but, but like, like Sam, to see that, that, that shining star, that, that hope, that light and high beauty that God holds forth for us, that changes our outlook on the present, no matter how difficult it is. And when we really lay hold of this hope, the way Carol laid hold of that hope, in the very best of ways, a lot of things will begin to matter to us less. Because I'll stop looking for temporal, fleeting things to find my hope and my security and my sense of identity and my fulfillment. And other things will begin to matter to us more. Because I believe that some things do last forever. That there are things that are eternal. That there are things that really will never disappoint. That the darkness is only small and passing thing. That God is faithful when all else fails. That we have a living hope. Because we are heirs of a faithful Father. And because we have that hope, we can rejoice now, no matter what God calls us to face. And so Peter says, uh, therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace. That's the inheritance that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Amen. Lord God, help us to live in this hope to which you have called us worshiping you with 
thankful hearts, never giving way to fear or despair, always looking for the future with gladness because you are faithful. Thank you, Lord.